0: and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now.
1: I'm Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest. We are the Blaze Radio Network and we're about we're about to know a lot more about who's going to be president than We did before I said Excelsior. Welcome back, best and brightest, my friends, broadcast partners, radio family. I'm Jay Severin. We are the Blaze Radio Network. If you have a special curiosity or uh, declarations as to the goings-on, may I suggest uh, are we hear from you. Hold on. I just noticed something here troubling in front of me, but but fixable hey come on with with my technical abilities, nothing to worry about. what could go wrong one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three and uh I'll try to get through a day without saying something which is at least apparently boastful, and I never mean for it to be boastful honestly i don't uh, if you've spent time with me, you know that it's truly not in my nature. Uh, though I also, as I say, apparently, not evidently, but apparently boastful. I say that because it. I know it might thusly appear that way. <clears throat> I really say it because I want you to know a lot of you don't know my background. And uh, there may be other people on the radio that have run political campaigns or been a senior Uh, strategist advisor to them in most by way more than most of the states in the United States and in several foreign countries but I don't know who it is so when when we're together at least I want you to know you're listening to someone who's done this because it, it seems to me from watching cable television every bumpkin in the world who has ever licked an envelope for an hour and a half for college credit in a in a catcher uh, sorry a a campaign for dog catcher not that those are important uh, aren't important Uh, you know goes on cnn and they they label them political strategists you know democrat political strategists in in my day now in my day you actually had to have provided strategy for a major campaign to have that title. And so I want you to know the reason for my uh, analysis and predictions in Iowa and New Hampshire are not an accident. I've been there with candidates and otherwise, Uh, you know, because if you want to eat, politics don't happen once every four years if you're a political consultant, not if you're any good at it anyway, or if you're any good at eating, So South Carolina is another state where I have been uh, involved with a a presidential candidate and otherwise with other elections and politics in the state. So does it make me right? It did in Iowa and New Hampshire, but no, no, it doesn't. uh, Though I have experience there, I, I don't feel like I know South Carolina, but for what it's worth, you know, uh, I I don't know anybody else who's on the radio that has uh, the experience there that I have. Even though I'll admit, I don't I don't feel the kind of more intimate, reliable acquaintance with South Carolina as I did with Iowa and certainly with New Hampshire. But again, having been there, you know, it doesn't hurt. Okay, as you know. Carly is out. Christie is out. We had those yesterday, and uh, thanks to Brittany, we were able to break at the last possible second that uh, Christie had bowed out. You know n- no one gets out of this ra- no one gets out of these races because they don't think they can win in fact, what did what did the Republicans have? Seventeen candidates when Do you believe me? Thank you, Ty. Ty confirms we had 17. Believe me when I tell you with all my heart that there were 117 others who flirted with getting in the race. Every every town supervisor I've ever known and above, but certainly every Congress, I didn't do town supervisor races except one in my life. I did one town supervisor's race because it was the town supervisor of the town that controls Atlantic City, (laughs) and gambling money, and the amount of money spent on that town supervisor's race was staggering, which is why I was happy to be involved. Uh, Everybody in office I've ever known shares some baseline traits. Most common among them is they want to be president of the United States, And they actually believe they are going to be. They have a plan in their top drawer right here in the desk, which they'll happily share with you the scenario by which I become president. And the most junior congressman already has this plan worked out in his mind, probably in middle school. I mean, I wasn't the only founder of a civics club in his. uh, Did I ever mention that? Uh, in, in in their uh, in their uh, in their uh, grade school years, believe me. And you know what? I'm not mocking that. No, I think ambition is a very good thing. It's not a substitute for talent or brains or achievement or anything else. But hey, I would rather be represented in Congress by someone who believes he or she can be president and has a plan for it. I mean, I, that kind of brain is just ambitious and forward-looking and assertive, and I think that's kind of a good thing, to the point that you're not foolish about it, you know. So, you know, it seems funny that we, that, that, well, sorry, not we, Republicans had 17 candidates. Trust me, 517 looked at it. And and no one gets out of it. No one quits. Th- therefore, what it takes to get into this, and for every moment you're in it, is is torture. As uh, the people in the Commonwealth say, torture. And you to your family, to yourself, to your soul, to your reputation, you don't do it unless you're serious. You don't do it unless you're ambitious. I hope you don't do it unless you love your country and you think you have better ideas for it. But my point is given the magnitude and degree of commitment to get in it, no one gets out of it easily. No one quits easily. I tweeted yesterday and it seemed to strike a a chord with a lot of us. It's like failing at a business. It's like closing down your business. It's like the moment you decide you you haven't paid yourself in three months your credit cards are maxed out. They're about to put a lien on your equipment. You haven't paid the tax bill. It's always, the, it's always first the taxes. I should have mentioned them first. It's always the tax lien. Uh, that's always the biggest worry, that you're going to go to your own office if you own a small business, and there's going to be a chain on the door and a yellow sticker humiliating you on top of, of ripping the heart out of your body. That's what closing a small business is and that's what closing down your presidential campaign is. No one does this easily. Just like they don't get into it easily. You get out of it because you run out of money. And the reason you run out of money is because you finally realize that your worst fears, that your worst fears have been realized not only by you but by everybody else. First,
2: Jay Severin
1: on the Blaze
3: Radio
2: Network.
1: When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another eighteen hundred dollars to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done...
0: up to 50% on washer and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now.
2: The J Severin Show. Only
1: on the Blaze Radio Network. Indeed. I'm Jay Severn. You're the best and brightest. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. 3393 Questions, complaints, observations, other ball mall, as you may feel appropriate, uh, contributions to enhance the show. one hundred three three nine three. 3393 Ty and I were just speaking, and, and what Ty says bears uh, repetition here. You know, yesterday we talked about Christy. Before he quit, we talked about... The likelihood that he would quit before the sun came up today. And I was able, with Brittany's help, to tell you at five, f- no four fifty-eight yesterday that Christie had just quit, or that the word of it had just hit the wires. So we technically knew before the end of the show what we were, you know, talking about at the beginning of the show. One of the things we had talked about uh, yesterday before we knew that Christie had quit is why he would still be valuable to someone. And we talked about the hour conversation, which, of course, was leaked at Christie's request. How did reporters find out that Christie and Trump spoke for an hour on the telephone yesterday morning? What was there? Unless Christie's sleeping with one of the reporters, uh, you know, who was there in bed drinking coffee and making notes, you, that I mean, this reeks, this, this is like, this isn't even politics 101. This is politics 01. You know, that that was leaked. And Christie asked Trump, you know, it's is it okay if I, you know, can I leak this? Can we leak this? In order to salve the wound of my having to drop all of this, the humiliation of getting out of the race. And Trump, of course, because Trump wants him, said, of course you can. Of course you can. And we'll back it up off the record. And what they're talking about is, and as Ty points out, it looks that Christie is being told, play ball and you'll be Attorney General. And we talked about that yesterday. We, 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 the Attorney General. And Christie would want it, it would seem to me. I think Vice President is not out of the question, by the way. Uh, which I tweeted uh, yesterday or last evening. But in any case, he's an effective guy on the campaign trail. You need an attack dog. You don't need an attack dog against you. You want one for you. You want an effective money raiser, which Ty points out uh, uh, Christie has done uh, when he was in that role uh, in the Republican National Committee to elect governors. And, you know, you always wonder, you hear that so-and-so senator or governor becomes head of the party's senatorial committee. What does that mean? How do you do an extra job in addition to being United States senator or governor? I'll tell you exactly what it means. You don't do anything but kill yourself by working two jobs, but it's a funny thing. You don't actually have to go to any meetings or ever write an email or you don't have to do any the kind of work you might associate with that. What you have to do is not see your family for a year and a half. What you have to do is live on airplanes and in hotels because agreeing to be head of, say, the Republican Governors Association, which Christie was, you agree to go on the fundraising circuit. And you are speaking at fundraising the what the so called rubber chicken circuit. And you are speaking at one, probably four nights out of seven, every week for the next year and a half. You are on the road forever. You are home never. And what you are doing is there to make a speech about your good friend, and then you have to look down at your notes to make sure that you don't you don't pull the bone or of using the wrong name in the wrong state because you're in your 27th state you know, in 35 days. And you're there to raise money. And they only pick the people who can raise money. And they usually only pick the people from states where raising money is like oxygen. New Jersey is a perfect state when it comes to raising gobs of money without any of a lot of sticky details attached to it. So Christie was head of the RGA, and the, the now you say, well, why would anyone do this? Well, you know why. You build up unbelievable political IOUs, and this is what we're talking about. We're talking about politics here. We're talking about the uh, UFB, the Universal Favor Bank, the UFPB, the Universal Political Favor Bank. You're building up political IOUs. When you come into my state, And I live in South Dakota and I can't raise a nickel. And you come in and we have a dinner, President's Day dinner. And Chris Christie comes in and we raise $75,000 at that dinner. And then Chris Christie calls me eight months later and says, I'm thinking of getting into this thing. Could I count on your support? The way the universal political favor bank works is you don't have a choice. I mean, unless your name is George W. Bush and your brother is running, in which case you'd have an excuse. That would be the only known and legitimate excuse for saying no to someone if they raised money for you. So the reason that people take thankless jobs like this is that in the end, they're not actually thankless. You get the political support. In theory, you gain the political support of governors even more than senators. Senators don't have political machines. They have political influence. But not like governors governors run their states like mussolini ran italy i'm not kidding you to be a governor is to, to put it in fanciful terms it makes you a ceo of the state now you want, want to put it in real terms when you're a governor you decide who gets the gravel i was taken aside by someone uh fairly early in my career when i did uh, probably the biggest upset of my career uh, I was senior advisor to the Guy Hunt campaign in Alabama. The Republican registration in Alabama when I did that race, as I recall, was five or six percent. So out of every 100 voters, five or six were would call themselves Republicans. But Ronald Reagan was in office and willing to help us because he knew and liked Guy Hunt. Guy Hunt was unknown. He was a Tupperware salesman and county judge. Don't laugh. When I met Guy Hunt, he was both a county judge and a Tupperware salesman. And because I got a nod from the White House, Lee Atwater, in particular, native of South Carolina, which is one of the reasons I know South Carolina. uh, Lee, in his loving generosity, despite what you've heard about him, one of the most wonderful people I've ever known. Quickest wits, best political minds, uh, more about whom in due course. Uh, Lee Atwater gave me the nod from the White House, uh, essentially said... He, call- I got a call. I went to the White House. Lee Atwater said, uh, he was political director at the White House. Lee Atwater said to me, "Jay, we'd like it. The president would like it if Guy Hunt got elected down in Alabama. the The president wants you to know, like, right, like, like he knew me. But he's the president. That was one of the charms of Lee. You know, said, the president wants me to tell you." that he would lack it if Guy Hunt did okay down there. He don't have to win, but he, he just did okay. That be The president would lack that. He wants me to tell you that. And he wants you to have these cufflinks with his name on it. Also a true story. And um, so I I walk out of there feeling like I'm Henry Kissinger, right? And that's part of the deal. That's part of the charm. You know, who, who are we going to get to take on this race in Alabama for governor where no one has won? Statewide office as a Republican since the Civil since the Civil War Well, I took it on and as a reward they allowed Dick Werthlin the famous Reagan pollster to do the polling and It was an enormous Beyond enormously helpful. Anyway, we won First elected Republican governor of Alabama since before the Civil War now Why do I tell you the story? Truth is, I've forgotten, but I know it has something to do with with Chris Christie and the political IOUs and governors. No, it has to do with governors. They took me aside Alabama and said, you know, Jay, you know what's at stake here, don't you, son? And I said, well, yeah, the governorship. He said, no, no, Jay, what's at stake, boy? Do do you know what's at stake? And I said, "Uh, no. And he said, well, do you know what the governor gets to decide in Alabama? One of them is who gets the gravel contract for the state highways. People have lived and died over that sun.
2: Jay 7 on the Blaze Radio Network. Severin on the blaze radio network.
1: And these are my partners. Ty is one. He's right here. You are on the phone. One triple eight, nine hundred three, three, nine three. And you might be here too, but I'd be uncomfortable unless you announced yourself presently. Uh, one tr- Cause I'm in my drawers. One triple eight, nine hundred three, three, nine three. Yeah. These stories. I, I feel like a, Willie Loman character saying this, but now that I realize I'm closer to the end of my life than the beginning, I I, all of a sudden these tales come pouring forth. But I remember like it was yesterday when the guy took me aside in Alabama and said, you know, do you, do you really know? I mean, I felt like I, when I went down there to make my presentation now, little did I know at the moment it was in the bag because, and again, I hope you find this stuff interesting because it's got to be brutal if you don't. But I wanted the job because I was still fairly new in the industry. I needed, you know, I needed the work. I mean, you know, it's a governor's statewide race. Either way, if I lose, I'm going to make money, and at least I I did my party a solid. You know, I was the kamikaze pilot. I was willing to do the race, so I didn't know. But you see, the, the party also. Didn't have you know? Roger Ailes wasn't going to do it. Who and he, Roger was still doing that at the time, uh, and better than anybody else. And none of the bigwigs in the party were going to do it. I was t- twenty four, five years old. I mean, you know, and and so I didn't know they wanted me. I didn't know this. I mean, Lee Atwater said we we want you, and I said okay. Well, I'll go down and make the pitch. They didn't tell me that the, the 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 fix was in, because they told. And this is how this works: the party says to the candidate, if they're a challenger, incumbents can do what they like in most cases, unless they're weak, unless they're looking like they're going to lose. But if you're a challenger, you do whatever the party says. And what the party said to, well, I want to be careful here. What the party often says to challengers is, here's the pollster you're going to use. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. This is the pollster. Yeah, but my brother-in-law, Shut up. This is the pollster you're going to use. Here's how much he's going to charge you. Here's how much of it we're going to pay, i.e., most of it. Here's the media consultant you're going to use. Okay, that fix was in, I am, I am later told. But when I made my presentation to them, I didn't know this. And I sat down in a room, I made my presentation. In a side meeting, looked like a gymnasium, but a side meeting room, they called it. I don't know why there were basketball hoops and folding chairs but and and, and, and bleachers. But anyway, I, I folding chairs and, and a blackboard. That's what they gave me. I asked for presentation equipment, which I assumed they would know would be, you know, a video recorder and things to show my commercials. What I got was a blackboard and a piece of chalk. and and I, And I walked in there. And when I tell you on my father's grave that a guy sitting in the first row of the folded chairs, like in the center of the first row, had on a white jumpsuit with the sleeves ripped off. He had tattoos, had ink all over. Now, you know that's not uncommon these days, but we're going back to 1983 or something here, I think. And, and this guy was covered in ink, had an Elvis hairdo. He, was, he had a cigar stub in his mouth, and out of the other corner of his mouth, this is a true story, he was spitting chaw into a Styrofoam cup. Now, anybody in the South, you think I'm making fun of you, I swear to you on my soul, I am not. But when sometimes life is like central casting, and this was one of those times. Now, what do I know? As I say, I'm still fairly new in the business, and I was dressed like a punk from Washington or New York, I had on my best, you know, Navy suit, my, 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 my Brooks Brothers Navy suit, my wingtip shoes with the tassels. Are you kidding me? They probably wanted to break my neck right there. I felt like Sammy Davis Jr. showed up to do a concert for the Klan. I had like to, you know, like when, when Sammy showed up anywhere, he already had a couple things against him. He was black. He had one eye, and he was a Jew. Like you know, he had a, he had a hole to dig out of with the audience to start with. If he went downtown, I felt like I was Sammy Davis Jr. up on that stage, and I couldn't get two words out without somebody spitting chaw and saying, "Yeah, but what well, you know about Bama?" You know, and I really it was it was not comfortable, but what, what I did my best, and what I didn't know at the time is my best didn't matter because the fix was in because I was the lamb to the slaughter picked by the political office of the White House, that this was all figured out. Someone's, someone somehow, and it did go to the, at least went to Lee. I don't know if it actually went to the president to be certain. Although uh, very quickly this was as a result of this campaign, I got to fly in air force one um, because, because my candidate did. And so what we needed was footage of my candidate with the president. So one morning they flew my candidate up to Washington on like a $49 prop job flight. He got off immediately went to Andrews air force base where we could shoot him getting on air force one with Ronald Reagan, shoot him on air force one with Ronald Reagan. Most importantly, shoot him getting off Air Force One. The wave shot, door opens, Secret Service comes down. Okay, action. Ronald Reagan comes out, waves. Thousands of people cheering. A second later, who comes out? The unknown county judge and Tupperware salesman, my client. And Ronald Reagan puts his arm around him, and he waves. Thousands of people go wild. And then Ronald Reagan that night in Dothan, Alabama, gives a speech, which I was allowed to write a section of, a short, short section. And I got to film it because what I wanted, what I needed was Ronald Reagan laying of hands on my candidate. I needed him saying, we need a man like, you know, Joe. America has to have a man like Joe. Alabama can't survive without a man like Joe. You need Joe. Thousands of people cheer wildly. Well, the best way to get what you want is to, you know, again, I didn't know at the time they were going to say yes to almost anything within reasonable boundaries. They were certainly going to say yes to my request that if you would allow me to write some things into the speech, I can shoot them. And then I've got the most powerful commercials that we're going to have in this campaign. No one's ever going to know Joe. But everybody knows and loves Ronald Reagan. Yes, even in a state that was five percent Republican. And the rest is uh, history. I didn't get a piece of the gravel contract, but I did get to sit. I said my single demand. I was offered all these bonuses, and I said, "Oh no, you don't." And I don't know but that may be done to this day, but I never did it because my old boss, David Garth, said to me, "You never, ever accept." Anything other than what your fee, you can negotiate your fee, but once you accept it, it's never contingent. It's never contingent on anything. It's what it is. And the moment you agree, that's what it is. You never go back on it a penny. You never accept offers of bonuses because it sullies you. It implies that you're not doing your best, but you would do your best if they gave you an extra $25,000. It's insulting. It's demeaning. You don't do it. And... I was offered more in that race in Alabama, I was offered more people pulling me aside, saying, I, "I didn't know this at the time, but now I know or realize that it was other people who were going to be in on part of the gravel contract, you know, to pave all the roads in the state, or you know, who got to run all the God knows what, you know, that the governor makes all those decisions. That's where we started this rambling dissertation is the power of a governor to decide everything. I think Alabama, and by the way, New Jersey, I found later, are two of the states where the chief executive officer are pretty much equivalent to the president of the United States. If you're governor of Alabama, you essentially have the powers of serfdom. You have prima knocked. You get to sleep with all the women on their wedding night. You get to decide the gravel contract. Are you kidding me? You're God. If you're governor of most states, certainly Alabama. So when finally the... Uh, offer of a bonus was actually uttered by my candidate, I got out of a a mortifying moment by saying to him, sir, I can't entertain an offer of any kind of bonus or renegotiation. I hope you appreciate my position. However, if you feel I need further incentive here, then when you win, when you are governor, I want to sit with you, in the governor's box, at the Alabama Auburn game next year. And he said, "Would you like that in writing, son?" And I said, "No, no governor." He wasn't then, but you know, you do that every once in a while to just to, to shine your client on a little bit. I said, "No governor, your word is fine with me." And the happy ending to this story well is that i won and made money and 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 made my bones and my reputation more or less on this race but a happier story part of the story is i got to sit in the governor's box at the 50 yard line at the alabama auburn game
2: roll tide this is jay febron on the blaze radio network
1: Jay show on the Blaze Radio Network. So let's uh, Ty, let's talk about on the air here what we were just talking about. The parties have different this is a, a huge thing, and, and we're gonna talk about it at beginning the next hour too. The parties have different rules. The states, the parties have different rules for the primaries heading on down the road here, and the Democrats are proportional. So if you come in third, you get the third best number of delegates. You come in, you know, well, there is no third. So if you, as long as Bernie can hang on and stay in the race, whatever he does, if he gets, you know, 20% of the vote, he gets 20% of the delegates. So there's, in, in effect, no hard winner and loser. But as we were just discussing,
4: Ty, Republicans, it's a different matter. Winner take all primaries. Right. And because of that, I think that there will be pressure put on certain candidates, depending, mainly Rubio, depending on how he does, or Jeb, one or the other, if Trump starts to run away with this thing, because they're going to need to consolidate that establishment vote.
1: Yeah, they someone, if they don't, and, and folks, the bottom line of this is, someone needs to get, I always I forget, I've been in business all my life and I can never remember this number, but I think it's 1,200... I wrote it down, I should have written it on my hand. Yeah, 1,237, I was going to say 47, 1,237 delegates. Now, if someone doesn't get 1,237 delegates, then this is the dream of Prince, of Reince Priebus, the head of the uh, GOP. If someone doesn't get to the convention with enough delegates to win on the first round of votes, that means Reince Priebus chooses. That means the Bushes. I'm not. Ki- I mean, I, the Bush conglomerate, Bush, the Bush conglomerate chooses the candidate.
4: This is why it's always mattered. Yes, Ty, why Bush has money? Yeah, you've been saying you've been saying it louder than anybody else in the country that he's not dropping out. He can
1: stay in as long as he can hold on. He doesn't have to win. He just has to hope and do his best to make sure that Trump doesn't get twelve hundred thirty-seven. By the time of the last primary, because if that's it and the pri- and the party
4: bosses choose,
1: they're going to choose Trump. They're going to choose Cruz. Uh-uh.
4: So. All right. So. No, so, go ahead. So Do then, it. my one question for you then is, is the winner in South Carolina, we, we know who the winner's probably going to be. But does the winner between Jeb and Rubio have a big upper hand? As far as staying in this race long term, the
1: begin it's it is the it is one of the two maybe three biggest questions that you ask, being like what what how does the Hillary Sanders race go, and then the the next one is how do the the battle for what essentially is becoming uh, now a two lane race? You know, you've got the outsider Trump, you've got the conservative, Cruz hopes that's him. But there's still that third lane of establishment. They need that to to survive. They need the establishment lane candidate to survive long enough to make sure that nobody else gets 1,237 votes. So, yeah, um, who, who's got claim to the establishment lane? And in South Carolina, it's going to start to look like Jeb is making... The, the outcome is either going to be Ty, Jeb looks like his 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 he's the comeback kid this time, or it's going to look like Rubio is dying before our eyes, which may have the same effect as number one above, or it could be a wash, and then we go on to the next primary. But you're right. That's what's at stake. What's at stake here is. You know, if I ask you who the outsider lane is occupied by, you know that. If I ask you, everybody, who is the conservative lane occupied by right now, you know that. Well, uh, who is the establishment lane occupied by? Is it Bush or is it Rubio? Because their voters are largely, they, they wouldn't like to admit this, but they're interchangeable and persuadable. Rubio and Bush at the end is Roosh or Bubio. They're, 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 they're going to be the same, but not both are going to survive. And, yes, uh, that's why, by the way, we're doing our uh, special, Blaze After Dark, two big additions this Saturday night. It's the South Carolina debate. And I'll tell you a little bit more about South Carolina, the only electorally, not my old stories by the fire with my cane when we come back.
2: This is Jay Severin Severin. on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: It's amusing to me, as soon it will be to you, if it isn't already, that saying, uh, Ben Carson quit the race, vote for me, or anything else you've heard was considered dirty politics you in south carolina now you in the home birthplace of dirty politics just wait very toss Welcome back, my friends, my broadcast partners. This is the Blaze Radio Network, where we will together learn more about this and why than uh, any place else. One triple eight nine three nine three one triple eight hundred three three nine three. And about this, I refer, of course, to the uh, mating habits of sub-Saharan waterfowl, which is our subject for today and this week exclusively. <laughs> Okay, so there were actually people who believed that they've seen dirty politics so far in this campaign. I can't tell you there's going to be dirty politics in South Carolina. Then again, neither can I assure you that the tides will change, nor that the sun will rise tomorrow. I can tell you that the likelihood of all those three occurring is fairly much equal. Uh, What we've seen is nothing approaching dirty politics. If you're old enough and uh, your interest in politics, either one is great enough to remember. Do you remember the charges that put John McCain in a bind? Do you remember John McCain fathered black daughter? Now, before you think of anything else, I want you to think about being John McCain in that situation. I don't care for john mccain he is a war hero our greatest living war hero probably but i this is neither here nor there it's a matter of history and perspective you're john mccain and there are you know three four days left to go in the campaign and there are radio ads flying under the radar radio ads bought on local stations but virtually every local station in the state radio ads running and direct mail being dropped in every mailbox and leaflets hanger door hangers on every door leaflets on windshields at shopping malls everywhere dropped everywhere except television commercials you want to trick the mainstream media Stick with radio and direct mail in some cases. So you're John McCain. Here comes the dirt drop. John McCain, father's fathered black daughter. If you come out and say, I did not, who would dare insult me? Then you're a racist, right? I mean, I don't want to argue about what is a racist and what's not a racist. I'm saying, according to the media, (laughs) you know, i.e. reality, if you come out and say, I'm calling this press conference because I want to say that I fathered a black daughter is a stinking, dirty lie. I would never do such a thing. Right. What does that make you? A hero? What does that make you? father a black daughter disgusting i would never do such a thing what a vile lie okay well i don't think that's what he wanted to say personally and politically you can't say that and, and morally you you, can, you you can't say that now what do you do say nothing because you also happen to know that there is a goodly percentage, or at least it was, a goodly percentage of the white vote in South Carolina that if they believed the charge, and it was accompanied by pictures of John McCain with a young black girl. Oh, I remember the pictures. You know why? And it was a family picture. Senator McCain, his wife, his children, including his black daughter. Well, of course, the key here is that John McCain went back to Southeast Asia after fighting in the war, after being a POW, and as a matter of love and conscience, adopted a Bangladeshi orphan, and it's his daughter. Now, I don't know, maybe the wording of the radio ad was McCain father to black child. I don't know if they decided or even needed to word it cleverly so that you you had to stand up and say, so are you saying you're not father to a black child? Well, no, no, I, I am. And then all the reporters rush out of the room. They've got their lead. McCain admits father to black child. So what does he say? What do you do? How do you not be a racist, show what's in your heart, and still try to get elected? And who who drops a bomb like that against you? What else are they willing to do? I, I don't mean, I'm not saying it's only in South Carolina. I'm saying it's American politics, and American politics is still practiced. I heard someone say today, they like the barbecue a little differently in South Carolina than they do in other states. They like a little more vinegar with their barbecue. That's for sure. I'm just telling you that it is the 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 dark art of politics is practiced more robustly, shall we say, in South Carolina still than it is in most other states. So, that was that was the home of John McCain father to black child. Uh, Then you've got the one in which a congressional candidate had some mental health issues as a teenager. And the consultant for his opponent, who happened to be, until the day he died, a good friend of mine and someone I held very dear, Lee Atwater. Who, by the way, is not the father of Willie Horton? If anyone wants to know the Willie Horton story, I know it. Probably better than, again, not to be boastful. I, I, I worked in the office with the client for whom it was produced. I worked at ground zero of Willie Horton. It, it, it wasn't Roger Ailes and it wasn't Lee Atwater. Anyway, Lee Atwater did say about his. Uh, opponent in South Carolina, the one who had the mental health problems, uh, went, you know, 20 years previously. He said, well, what do you want from this guy? He he's, he's spent his entire youth hooked up to jumper cables. <laughs> How do you not laugh at that, by the way? Jumper cables. Anyway, because, oh, because he had had electroshock therapy, which was <clears throat> at the time, I don't know if it is now, Was standard medical practice for whatever it is was his malady. So, but Lee said, "Guy spent half his life hooked up to jumper cables," and that guy—that was it. He went down in a pile, a steaming pile, uh, a day later. And 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 again, could I, if I searched my memory, could I come up with other so-called dirty tricks? Uh, from other states? Absolutely. But we're not talking about other states right now. I mean, we really, even among left-wing mainstream media, they will tell you that their reminiscence of their knowledge of dirty politics, they'll always tell you a South Carolina story first. Now, despite what I, the substance of what I've just uh, shared with you, you know, I'm not sure that's something to be terribly ashamed of i'm not i'm not defending anything that was said i'm just saying that uh, one of the earliest gifts i got as a child was a book about the american presidency i still have it it's 25 feet away from me right now on a bookshelf and and it uh, it ended with i think kennedy right. t- giving you a hint as to how ancient uh, i could possibly be and anyway and it had all the cartoons. Of, because cartoons were the were the television commercial, the television and radio commercial, of ninety percent of America's history, has been cartoons, political cartoons. Ma, ma, where's my pa? He's in the White House. Ha, ha, ha. Hey, South Carolina didn't invent this stuff. It's been our history.
2: The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: radio Network. I want to credit uh, theblaze.com for this as Ty did. Uh, Ty just tells me that one of our reporters has a story. What was the story, Ty?
4: The story was that um, she got access to the Ted Cruz bus when it was still in Iowa, right before it headed over to, I mean, when it was still in New Hampshire before it head to, headed to South Carolina. And the right. quote was, Ted Cruz does not allow anything on his bus that isn't fried. So we're talking about the food, of course. Yeah, the food, of course. Yes. <laughs> Every food on the Ted Cruz bus currently, at least at least in New Hampshire, if it wasn't fried, it was not on the bus. Oh, man. Again, again, we were, we we're talking about how do you how do you keep this? Ske- it's great. I mean,
1: but how do you how do you eat only deep fried fried and keep this schedule?
4: We have. If we're rooting for Ted Cruz, and I know a lot of listeners are, we have to hope that he's eating better than that when he gets off the bus.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I hope that his wife is jamming a salad down him, you know, or some oatmeal, you know, in secret every once in a while. Uh, Scott, thank you, Ty. Scott from Florida, thanks for sticking with us. Welcome back, isn't it?
3: Good afternoon, Jay. Uh, No, first-time caller, long-time listener. Oh, good. Welcome. Thank you. Uh Thank you. I got to start with five things I know. Uh, the first two are the only certainties in life are death and taxes. The third mm-hmm. is John Kerry fought in Vietnam. Fourth being Hillary's big fat liar. And fifth is Jay Severin founded his sixth grade civics class. <laughs> uh, I'll call How did you a, know that? How did you know that? I, I just heard it once or twice. Not for me. All, all hearsay.
1: Well, thank you. Thank Uh, you. Thank you for placing me among the pantheon of the five uh, important things to know. Thank you.
3: (laughs) You're welcome. I'm calling because I want your uh, professional opinion. Um, Obviously, Trump gets so much free publicity just by opening his pie hole um, (laughs) through the mainstream media. And I listen to the blaze probably five hours a day, and I just feel like I'm not hearing a lot coming out of the cruise camp. And do you think that's a strategic play on his part to just kind of lay low and see how things roll out, or is he no. just not investing the money for a reason?
1: Well, I, I think that I think that it's a zero sum game, Scott. And as you have mm-hmm. astutely observed already, if if uh, Donald Trump hiccups, it leads uh, everywhere in the national news. And but here is here is the reason for this phenomenon. He doesn't hiccup. He opens his mouth and almost never think about this, everybody. When is the last video clip or audio clip of Donald Trump or quote in print? When is the last thing you heard or saw Donald Trump say? that was not principally or did not principally include a vicious attack on somebody, probably his closest uh, political foe. Ever? No. I mean, and, and the reason I ask, Scott, is that that's what makes news. When, when Ted Cruz holds a press conference, the, the beat reporters covering the campaign cover it. Well, they, they I, that is, I'm sorry, they, they attend it. And Ted Cruz says, I want to say today that high taxes are killing him. Yada, 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 yada. What he says is true. I love it. I believe it. I want him to be president. And then maybe he throws in at the end, you know, and I don't think Donald Trump understands this, but he's v- still very diplomatic when he attacks Donald Trump. Okay, what do I, if I'm a reporter, I leave that and said, I could have gotten a hamburger. i like, I could have slept an extra half hour. I was, what do I do with this? I have to file. What do I stand up and say on Fox News when I have to be on in 45 minutes? What do I make out of this? He gave me nothing. But Scott, when Trump is there, the reporters don't want to admit it, but he's their best friend because he does their job for them. Right? Right. So If you're covering... Scott, if you're assigned Trump, you have gotten the best assignment in the world because you don't have to do anything. You show up with your tape recorder or your crew or your notepad, and Donald Trump is going to, in the first 30 seconds he's on stage, and for all but 30 seconds of this appearance, he's going to lacerate somebody in crude terms and... If that doesn't do, you think that any policy statement is any any producer of the news is going to look at the quicks the clips real quick and they're going to say, all right, we'll lead with uh, Cruz's statement on taxes. We'll go next with Dr. Carson on medical costs, and then we'll go with Donald Trump calling Cruz a son of a bitch bastard. We'll go third with that. Are you kidding me? So if if
3: you were advising Cruz or and or any other candidate, um, given that summing up what you just stated basically boils down to our society is a society of, you know, Kim Kardashian, Miley Cyrus and a football, right. uh, you know, Super Bowl halftime show. How do you combat that?
1: It, you th- this is why God made media consultants. I'm glad you asked the question. Uh, <clears throat> that's why it, it is possible to run as a good guy, but have a an air attack, which is bastardly. You know, you, you can if if I were advising Ted Cruz, I'd say, if this is how you're comfortable, if this is the mode of your comfort, you stick with it. I mean, I'd like you to be a little tougher and I'd like I'd like you to move the attack up sooner in your presentation. And I'd also like to coordinate your attack words. With the attack script of the spots we have currently running, thereby multiplying, the multiplication effect of having t- of, of at night, you sit down, got a drink, sit down in front of the TV, turn on TV, and you see that uh, uh, today Ted Cruz said, you know, Donald Trump is really a circus man, and he's not going to solve America's problems. Okay, if that's the toughest thing you're capable of saying, say it, get it up front, and then and then check in with me each day of a menu of what you're going to say that you're comfortable with. And then when the news break comes, okay, just ahead, X, Y, and Z, we'll be right back. Boom! Donald Trump is a circus performer who cannot solve the problems of America on a paid commercial. And then when you get in your car later to pick up your kid... Uh, from after school stuff, I want you to turn on the radio and we'll be right back. Boom. Donald Trump is a circus performer. And then tomorrow morning, when you get your newspaper, I want an ad in there. Boom. Donald Trump's circus performer. When you get your mail, I want a direct mail piece. Boom. Donald Trump is a circus performer. We do that for three days. Then we move to another message. But we coordinate everything, and it has to be tougher. But the answer to your astute question, Scott, is, yeah, it's possible to be a fairly good guy and savage the other guy at the same time with paid media. I'm not sure that Ted Cruz has, had, or will ever have enough money to go nuclear on Donald Trump to make up for his less aggressive style of campaigning. Because imagine if a Trump decides to retaliate he you know if it's all out war i don't know if truce thinks he can win that
2: jay severin the blaze radio network
1: on the Blaze Radio Network 188 900 3393. We're talking a lot today about context, you know, and into which fits candidacies. Ty and I were just discussing candidacies. And and you know, you can have a you can be a very formidable campaign even if you're not a great candidate. You could can be a great candidate even though you may not have the smartest campaign in the world. Donald Trump is a great natural candidate, you know, twerking, daddy, twerking, okay? Donald Trump is the perfect performer of the cultural moment of American culture. His campaign is not that impressive. They have screwed up a lot. And but for Trump, they wouldn't be where they are. If if the Trump campaign organization, i.e., no ground game in Iowa, if if that had been... Ted Cruz's campaign structure, Ted Cruz would not have done as well as he's done so far. So it's, it's, you you are a campaign and you are a candidate and you need to be good at both in order to win. And Ty and I were just discussing Hillary Clinton. I like, I despise, I'm not speaking for Ty now. I despise, I've spent a lifetime. I know it's not healthy, but she's probably taken a couple months off my life My arteries probably bear uh, allegiance to my statement that I have spent a lifetime uh, despising Hillary Clinton because I know who she is. And every time I must admit, every time I sit down and and I listen to Bill O'Reilly at night, Bill O'Reilly probably twice a week. I've known Bill for 25 years. Um, There's not a knock on him, but he happens to have had experiences with Hillary that he claims are only good and that's how he judges her i mean again am i going to argue with the guy who prints money the number one show in cable for the last 25 years i'm not but my experiences my orientation of hillary are different than bill's bill bill always says when someone like me goes off on a rant and says, God, you know, I hate Hillary. She's a witch. She's a, he goes, I don't know why you say that. I've had many personal experiences with the woman. And she's been reasonable with the folks. And I, I swear to you, I regurgitate dinner. Uh, but it's, that's, that's my problem. Uh, she is a great campaign. She's not a great candidate per se. But she is good enough. And she's great. She's just not super great. But her campaign structure is, you know, like the New York Yankees or the New England Patriots. They're, they know how to win. They, they bring in people. I mean, you say, well, why did she lose? Last time. Okay, fair question. But, you know, she's an unbelievably formidable campaign and, frankly, campaigner, but though not necessarily a great candidate. Trump, on the other hand, is a is super great candidate of the moment. P.T. Barnum, uh, name anybody of any era. uh, And Trump, uh, whether you like him or not, is a great, great natural showman, which these days, twerking, da-da, twerking? That is, twerking is campaigning. And Donald Trump is a twerker. He's the best twerker out there. Ted Cruz ain't. Ted Cruz has probably a better campaign organization, but he doesn't approach being as good a candidate because Ted, Ted Cruz is a great U.S. senator and a great defender of the United States Constitution. But what he's not is a showman. He's not. And, and that's, of course, not a criticism. That's just an observation. That's just a fact of life. A showman, he's not. A workhorse, I'm sorry, a show horse, he's not. He's a workhorse. He's a genius. But he's not a showman. Twerking, da-da. Twerking. I, you know what I'm talking about? When I when I sat down with my family to watch the whatever it was, the something M.A.s on television, and Miley Cyrus came out and approximated sex with men on the stage, and it was on at 8 o'clock at night, And I was there with my children, my family, and I I looked and my oldest looked at me and said, twerking, Dada, twerking. Like she was trying to reassure me and explain to me at the same time. (laughs) It, it, It accomplished only one of those. But I mean, so I look at Donald Trump and I feel like I should now look back at my, I should look at my audience and say, twerking, best and brightest, twerking. And that's it. He's best at it. So now we move into a state which is, again, they didn't invent what we call dirty politics, but they do it best, and they still do it. Um, I mean, there is no price to pay too high here to slap the other guy. As I heard someone say earlier, you know, no matter how badly you are hit, no matter how dirty it is, in South Carolina— and this is going to happen. Someone's going to say about somebody else, and that means, let me translate, Trump is going to say about Bush or Cruz, something awful. I mean, really, truly unprecedented awful. And if 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 Ted Cruz thinks he can answer by jujitsu, by swinging it around and saying, Can you imagine that a candidate for president of the United States would say such a thing and expect everyone to go, oh, pshaw, pshaw, shame on you, Donald Trump. He's never been to South Carolina before. In South Carolina, they are weighed, they're salivated. This is a blood sport for South Carolinians. Again, no criticism. They play this as though it's still eighteen eighty. They, they 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 are salivating for people to scratch each other's eyes out. And if a guy hits you in the mouth in South Carolina, you are not going to survive by going to the ringside and saying to the cameras, can you believe this guy just hit me in the mouth? I didn't hit him first. He hit me first. Well, you might as well go home because in South Carolina, if a guy hits you in the mouth with no provocation then you go back and hit him with a chair. You hit him with a beer bottle between the eyes. And if you don't, people will look at you as uh, something that used to rhyme with bag. You, you have to fight back and fight back any way you can. The, the South, I have, I have played in most of these states and when I say played, I mean had candidates, had campaigns. Virtually lived there for a year, year and a half at a time. That's what you do when you have a candidate running for governor or senator. I have played in most states in this country. No place is like the South. The South plays politics like the SEC plays football. They smash you in the mouth. And you better, whether they're bigger or whether they did it first... You better smash them in the mouth harder or everyone will look at you and say, ain't no commander in chief. And one of the reasons that's true. And one of the reasons I offer you to validate that this is not some kind of intrinsic criticism of South Carolinians is. More than one in five, more greater than one in five voters in South Carolina are veterans. Greater than one in five, it is more, it is greater, I believe, than in by far than any other state. There are eight major active military bases in the state of South Carolina. Greater than one in five votes cast will be cast by a veteran. Now, I'm not saying that, therefore, what? Veterans play dirty? No. Veterans like dirty politics? No. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, when you're talking about a state that plays their politics rough and tumble, or if you or as someone I heard earlier on on, on television somewhere, uh, a local consultant say, you know, we we like our barbecue with a little more vinegar here than in other states. They truly do. And, and I think the fact that they've got guys who will hit you in the mouth uh, and that there are a greater number of veterans here, there there is a nexus. There is a connection. And I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of but that's the way that's the way it is hey maybe history and tradition won't hold maybe it will be like uh the scene from gone with the wind where they have the picnic day can i get you a picnic miss charlotte oh no miss charlotte do me the honor let me get picnic for you miss charlotte oh i think i'll pick ashley oh
2: ashley Jay Severin, The Blaze Radio Network.
0: This is The Jay Severin Show.
1: These are my partners I've got one for you this you will know this audience knows everything I I, I, I play I, I wrote earlier on uh, Twitter some uh, obscure lyrics to what is now has, has to be greatly an obscure song how uh, so swell to have my ham and eggs Carolina <clears throat> where'd that come from it took about a minute and a half and one of you guys answered it Chad choo okay here's one what's who sorry who was the first American president born in a hospital who's the first American president who was born not at home but in a hospital i'll I'll look for for tweets and and give you the credit if i get it if i uh, get the answer otherwise uh I'll try to remember to give it to you before we leave. Jay from Denver, welcome,
5: Uncle Severin. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate you taking the call. <laughs> my pleasure. Hey, so I live near the Air Force Academy in Colorado here by the springs, and
1: I know it. Yes.
5: Um, the other day, I went into this burger place, and I had my Trump hat on. Don't don't yell. I had my Trump hat on, and about fifteen or twenty guys stopped me in the uh, in the burger place. Well built guys, and uh, I thought they were a college football team. They were all high fiving me and cheering me about the hat. Well I found out that they're all guys in the Air Force and some of them were okay. black hispanic white all kinds of people and I asked them if there was a poll or something that they do in the military and they weren't too sure if there were any but they said that everybody that they work with uh, they're on base with everybody is supporting Donald Trump uh, in a lot can of can you be surprised the military
1: and can you be surprised what? if you're especially if you're active duty or you know an academy uh, guy right now can you be surprised that among the candidates that they would that they would high-five over Trump I'm not
5: well no no, I was more surprised that it wasn't split a little bit with Cruz I mean that's kind of the emotion that I get when I talk to some people is that that patriotic yeah we stand differently we're we're, you know we're breaking away from group thought and we're independent and we're strong people so that that camaraderie I think is contagious
1: Well, this is illustrative, I think, of what we've been talking about, uh, what you and Ty and I have been talking about today. There is a level of showmanship, twerking, Dada, twerking. There's a level of showmanship, which is right now, I don't know for how long in American politics, could come and go like a June bug. I don't know. But right now in American politics, if you are not a showman, you are not a top candidate. Those guys... That high fived you, and I'm proud of you for wearing your hat. You know why? Because whether or not we're for the same guy at the moment, you had, you care enough to advertise that you're for somebody. The, 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 you know that hat says I care, and so I salute you. And, and so, and I have a feeling that was part of what those guys were saluting too. Though I'm not diminishing that they were specifically for Trump, but if this campaign were thus far conducted at an energy level. The highest of which was Ted Cruz. Do you think those guys would be paying attention? Those same guys. Do you think they'd be paying attention to this campaign as much? Do you think most people, you know, if one thing is not true in this campaign so far, are not way more people who otherwise would have no idea, they couldn't care less about the election, are paying attention probably for the first time in their lives more or at all because of Trump because Trump has elevated this to entertainment yes
5: Well, i would i would agree with that i mean that's a hypothetical to go back and forth i i like well it's not, Ted a, Cruz. No, it's uh,
1: not a it's not a hypothetical i'm i'm stating you can disagree but my 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 declaration is the level of attention being paid to this campaign is higher because Donald Trump is in it that doesn't make anybody oh. for him or more against him. That's just, that's, you know, uh, you don't have to be for or against that. St- I mean, you can disagree with that statement or agree with it, but I think it's demonstrably true. More people are paying no. more attention because of Donald Trump. Yeah, I,
5: I agree with that. As far as the showmanship that that Donald Trump portrays, you asked if it was flipped and if it was Cruz doing that, would it be I don't different? mean it's and bad. I don't,
1: I don't mean, I'm not suggesting for a moment that it's that it's perverse. Or or I don't mean it that way, I just mean the entertainment quotient. I look, I'm in show business. I could read the Constitution here to you tomorrow. You think I'd get better ratings than today? No, not at all. Well, you know it's we're all in show business you are you a married fellow?
5: I'm working on that if she continues to act well, like okay. she is, she'll be, will then be you're a performing
1: <laughs> you are one performing bastard right now. You're a showman right now. You are putting on the greatest show you will ever stage right now. No? God bless you. God bless you back. And I don't mean phony. I don't mean phony. No. But I mean right I agree. now, you, you are the greatest showman you will ever be. Thank you, best and brightest. Thank you, Ty. See you tomorrow. The Jay Severin Show,
2: only on the Blaze oh Radio Network. So